Dear this morning, let us pray and ask for the Lord's blessing on the preaching of his word. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that brings light and life to us. Please grant us understanding of you and our own hearts. Now as we hear the word preached, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my nearest kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen. So here today we're uh, taking a short uh, step into uh, the book of 1 Samuel and we're going to look at the narrative of the calling of Samuel as a prophet. Let us now hear God's word. 1 Samuel chapter 3. Now the boy Samuel ministered to Yahweh before Eli, and the word of Yahweh was rare in those days, and there was no widespread revelation. And it came to pass at that time, while Eli was lying down in his place, when his eyes had begun to grow dim, that he could not see, and before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of Yahweh, where the ark of God was. And while Samuel was lying down, that Yahweh called Samuel, and he answered, Here I am. So he ran to Eli. Here I am, for you called me. And he said, I did not call. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. Then Yahweh called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. He answered, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know Yahweh, nor was the word of Yahweh yet revealed to him. And Yahweh called Samuel again the third time. So he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. Then Eli perceived that Yahweh had called the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and it shall be, if he calls you, that you must say, Speak, Yahweh, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now Yahweh came and stood and called as other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak, for your servant hears. Then Yahweh said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows, because his sons made themselves vile, and he did not restrain them. And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So Samuel laid down until morning and opened the doors of the house of Yahweh. And Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. He answered, Here I am. And he said, What is, it, what is the word that Yahweh spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. God, uh, do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me, all of the things that he said to you. Then Samuel told him everything, and he hid nothing from him. And he said, It is Yahweh. Let him do what seems good to him. So Samuel grew, and Yahweh was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel had been established as the prophet of Yahweh. 
Then Yahweh appeared again in Shiloh, for Yahweh revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of Yahweh. You know, today, as we look across the room and we know what, our, what, what kinds of jobs the folks have in here, many of our congregation are involved with national security or our military or in some kind of support of national security. You all hear and see things that show you a real escalation of the tensions that could lead our country to war. Many people in this country look to the idols of democracy and military might. They do not look to God for deliverance from our enemies. In part, it's because they're focused on the wrong enemy. That is sin. As Christians, we must remember that national security does not lie with might or power and armies, but in the Lord. It lies with pleasing God. Today's scripture teaches us to look to God and His Word alone for salvation and peace. And if we don't, God's judgment will fall upon us. So where are we in the story in the book of 1 Samuel? Just to kind of catch us up, because we're in chapter 3 that we read from today, we know that Samuel is a gift from God. His mother was barren, and out of the barrenness comes the prophet. Overall in the scriptures, you see this over and over again, there's this problem of barrenness, and God intervenes. This reminds us of the tensions between Satan trying to prevent the seed of the woman and God intervening for his people to bring deliverance to us all. So here, God blesses Hannah, and she takes Samuel and brings him to the tabernacle so that he may serve God. We also see that there are sins of Eli and his sons. His, Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they're stealing from God, and they're corrupting worship. They committed adultery with the women in the gates. Eli, when he's made aware, speaks, but he doesn't restrain his sons. He abdicates his position as father and as high priest. A man of God shows up and calls out the sin and pronounces judgment. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 34, it says, Now this shall be a sign to you that will come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. In one day they shall die, both of them. So God sends someone to call out the sin, to deal with the problem of worship being corrupted, to deal with the problem of sexual sin at the place of worship with God's people. This was an opportunity to repent. Eli and his sons continue, though, in their state of unrepentance. And it has grave consequences, not just for their family, but also for Israel, by greedy, corrupted worship and sexual sin. They are, by their lack of obeying God in worship and godly community, bringing judgment to themselves and all of Israel. Hophni and Phinehas, and by his lack of intervention, Eli trample on and despise God. 
This is where we find ourselves in the narrative of God and His people. Too often, this record of God's personal intervention is minimized by Sunday school pictures of a cute little boy being selected and called by God. We need to understand that God brought and called Samuel to the tabernacle, and every year his mama brought him a little robe, and we think, oh, isn't that cute? You know, we see it. she shows up with this little robe. When we look more closely, though, we see that Samuel isn't wearing just any kind of robe, but he is wearing a priestly robe, an ephod. And we are told that he is ministering to the Lord in the temple. Certainly, he went there after he was weaned and he was working in the temple, but he was growing. He was getting older. He wasn't just a little, a little boy. We see in chapter 2, verse 26, <clears throat> that it says this, And the child Samuel grew in stature and in favor with both Yahweh and men. Does that sound familiar? Does that phrase? Remember when Jesus was 12 and he goes to the temple? And after he leaves the temple, it says he grew, he grew in stature and wisdom, right? So he's not a little boy. He's not an old man, but he's not a little boy. Finally, we also see that the Hebrew word na'ar is frequently translated as a temple service and a young man. As a matter of fact, when, when it's referring to just a child, that, that's not even 20% of how it's translated into the text. It's much more often about a young temple servant <clears throat> and a young man. And of course, in the scriptures, a young man is someone who hasn't quite reached 20. So all of this to say that this is not some cute story to give us warm feelings concerning God and our children, but rather God's story of redemption from sin by judgment that brings repentance and restoration to God's people. Just like the people of Israel, we find that the godly heritage in our country has been forgotten. And many churches worship, not as God instructs, but in ways that glorify man, thus stealing from God what is truly His. Second, we see that today sexual sin is rampant in the church. In some churches today, fornication, adultery, homosexuality, and every other a perversion imaginable, are both encouraged and celebrated. There are actually church leaders, ordained pastors, who have said porn is okay as long as it is ethically sourced. All of this is false. God declares all of these actions, thoughts, and desires sinful. We would expect pagans to think and live this way, but as goes the church, so goes the culture. When the church doesn't restrain and discipline and repent of sin, the world's unrestraint becomes a raging grass fire on a prairie consuming everything. What we need is God's word. What the world needs is God's word. Otherwise, we're left in the dark. In the dark, judgment brings defeat by our enemies. There is certainly sin in the church, at the tabernacle, in the people of Israel. 
Chapter 3 opens saying this, First of all, that the word of the Lord was rare. In those days there was no widespread revelation. As sin permeated worship, God was not speaking to his people. The unrepentant people's sins were piling up. Eli and his sons were not bringing God's word to the people. You know, it's very interesting. We, we lose track of things because, um, you know, the Old Testament's pretty widespread. There's so much going on. But it's important to remember that in Deuteronomy chapter 31, that it says this in verse 10, And Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, so when they're to bring rest to the land, they're to bring out at the appointed time, the year of release, the Feast of Tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before Yahweh in the place which he chooses, you shall read the law before all Israel in his hearing. So they were called, Hophni, Phinehas, Eli, to make sure that when the Feast of Tabernacles, which is a time to rejoice before God and make intercession for the world, that they are to bring out the law and read it to the people. It would seem they were keeping the word of God shut up in. When God's word is not read, sung, and preached, God's word becomes rare for his people. Again, it would seem that they were keeping God's law shut up. Second, we see that, e that Eli, that his eyes had begun to grow dim and that he couldn't see. We know from what God's word says that the eye is the organ of judgment. As Eli has not obeyed God's word in leading worship and his family in repentance, obedience, his ability to discern and judge is hampered. Look at how God's word is treated in the ethics of our culture. Many church leaders despise and trample all over God's word. They deny that it is God's revelation for all of life. In fact, we speak of how, um, as people, we have evolved beyond the morals and ethics of the Bible. It's no wonder that our country is in such a bad state. Isaiah chapter 5 tells us this in verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Now we read that and we say, yeah, those, those terrible pagans out there. No, when God is saying this, he is speaking to his own people. The problem lies with pastors, with churches, that don't declare God's word, that don't call sin, sin, that don't say this is the way that pleases God. Lastly, we see that it says all this is happening before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle. The lamp in the tabernacle was to never go out. We see that in Exodus 27. The lamp was the only light in the tabernacle. If it goes out, Nothing can be seen. We know that the glory of God's presence was a glory cloud that gave light. When God leaves, the light of his glory departs and leaves no light to perceive anything. 
God's promises are conditional in that when God establishes His covenant, they contain both blessings and curses. Again, with our sentiments, with our, with our warm, fuzzy feelings, we always want to embrace the blessings of the covenant, and we, we don't even look at the curses. We just, oh, isn't this great for me and my family? And we don't say, wait, we have attending obligations, and if we don't walk in obedience, if we don't worship, if we don't read God's word, if we don't live our life according to God's word, that there'll be curses from God upon us? Certainly, all those God has preordained will be there on the last day to be with the Lord forever. But we must guard against the sin of presumption. God is not someone to trifle with. Too often, God's people do not remember the warnings of being blessed and then forgetting God. We presume that we have done all these things. We say, I'm baptized. I've confessed Christ. Now I can live as I like, worship as I like. I can choose my own life and my own morality. When we sin like this, God calls us to repentance. And if we persist, God brings more and more corrective judgment, and then He cuts us off. This is a warning to the church and all of us. Many of you know this story. Samuel is in bed sleeping in areas around the tabernacle. Three times God calls Samuel, and he thinks that Eli is calling him. Finally, Eli, as dim as his eyes were, as hardened as his heart was, perceived that maybe God was calling Samuel. Verse 7 says this, Now Samuel did not yet know Yahweh, nor was the word of Yahweh revealed to him. It's not that Samuel wasn't a covenant member of God's people, but rather Samuel did not know God as a prophet. God had not yet given Samuel his prophetic words to Israel. Like I said, Eli perceives and tells him, Listen, go back, and if God calls you again, then you say, Here I am, I'm, I'm ready to listen. And of course, in verse 10, we see this. Now Yahweh came and stood and called as other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak, for your servant hears. God appears to Samuel. God calls Samuel his priestly prophet. God calls Samuel just as he called Moses in the wilderness by calling his name twice. We see that in Exodus 3. And Jesus later calls the Apostle Paul in a similar uh, fashion in Acts chapter 9. And it, it's really interesting to note that Samuel is the first named prophet after Moses. Once he calls him in this way of declaring him as a prophet, he says this, Yahweh said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. And that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. Now God says that all the people in Israel will have both ears tingle. Now for us, in, in our modern translation, 
tingle is kind of like a little tiny bell, dinner bell, ding, 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 ding. Or a little tickle at our ear. That's not what this word means. This word tingle means to quiver. Both ears will chatter with fear and shame by what God does in his judgment. The judgment of God is coming to Eli's house and it will affect all Israel and even their enemies. Think about that now. As we consider the fact that we know that there are enemies of our country, when sin is in God's people, when sin is left unrepented of, when sin is allowed to be in the church, when it is allowed to be proclaimed by the pastors, God brings judgment and it has impact on God's people, the greater community, and even our enemies. We see that Samuel lays down until morning. And when morning arrives, Samuel opens the door to the house of Yahweh. This is really interesting. Why did God put this here? Samuel has the words of God and opens the doors of the tabernacle. God's words are going to be proclaimed. They're no longer going to be shut up inside. Instead, God's words and actions will cause fear and shame for all of Israel because of the judgment that God brings to the people of Israel and Eli's house. And as the lamp is about to go out and the glory of God prepares to depart, God establishes the hope of forgiveness and restoration in the prophet of Samuel. We see this pattern over and over again when God brings the judgment and it brings death and it brings hardship and it brings difficulty. God always provides provision for the restoration and repentance of his people. You know, when he gets up and he opens those doors and he's ready to proclaim, Samuel doesn't want to share the words of God to Eli. It takes courage to tell God's word to those who God has given us as hearers. Don't we find that true in our own house? We love our kids, so we don't want to confront them with sin and a call to repentance. Or, or someone, a friend we've known a long time. By the way, I've heard other preachers talk about this and they say, you know, it is truly hard for a pastor to bring the hard words. I say that as well. I need to be God's humble servant. I need to bring the words of truth. Otherwise, it's not love. If I don't tell you the truth, it's hatred. If you don't speak to your spouses with the truth, it's hatred. Right? You bring God's word in truth, and you let the Spirit work. Samuel's known Eli for years. And he doesn't want to tell him God's words. We see today that the courage of many pastors have failed to give the truth from their pulpits and platforms. Many have compromised the truth over their relationships. You know, judgment comes to covenant breakers. Eli, though, he, he presses Samuel to tell him what God has said. 
And Samuel tells Eli all that God said. Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas are covenant breakers and are leading Israel in covenant-breaking worship and sexual sins. God's warnings continue even here. But look at Eli's reply. He says this, it is, it is Yahweh, let him do what seems good to him. You know, before where, where Eli, he speaks to his sons, but he doesn't take any active steps. He's all talk and no action. He's abdicating his role. Now, now, don't do that. But, but I can't have you keep doing this. If you don't repent, I've got to step in. No, he's, he, he's a, a true man who abdicates. And even so, what does Eli do? It sounds like he's got this spiritual response. Oh, yeah, it's Yahweh. Let him do what seems good to him. No, Eli shrugs his shoulders and abdicates his role. That's it then. You know, repentance is made available to Eli yet again, and he simply does nothing. We see all through Scripture where judgment is proclaimed, and when repentance occurs, God provides mercy. We see this in Nineveh and with King Hezekiah, just to name two. Eli simply resigned himself to this, and this is the way I am. So God, do what you think is right. And as time goes on, Eli doesn't change, so the judgment is sure. But God's provision is evident. How's this? We see in verse 19. So Samuel grew, and Yahweh was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of Yahweh. Then Yahweh appeared again in Shiloh, for Yahweh revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of Yahweh. And the word of Samuel came to all of Israel. So here we see this. God speaks to to Samuel. He's with him, and it says this. He didn't allow any of his words to fall to the ground. Remember the ground, that's the curse. Dirt is the curse. No, none of his words, whatever he was saying, whatever he was proclaiming, God gave him those words and kept his word and let none of them fall aside. No, all the people in the whole country from Dan to Beersheba, that's a long way. It's important for us to recognize that God still in the midst of bringing judgment. And it was coming And yet he's out preaching and giving God's word. What the people needed was the word of the Lord. Today, we need the word of the Lord. God is long-suffering for his people. Sometimes we even wonder why God is patient when we think that God ought to be removing wicked people from his church. God is generous to leave so much time to repent. But for the hard-hearted, the time is is a deception that God does not see or that he has somehow forgotten. God is faithful to keep his word. We must not fall into the sin of presumption. When we presume upon God, we start to look for outward religious things and our history instead 
of looking to God for deliverance from sin and all our enemies. Now, it's really important that when we look for these outward things that we don't cling to just tokens of Christianity. We see in chapter 4 where the Philistines come out to do battle against Israel. Israel's defeated, and the loss of life was 4,000 men. Again, they go out, and they're fighting their enemies, and they lose 4,000 men. Does this cause them to repent? No. What they do? Israel returned to camp and asked God. They, they didn't ask God why they were defeated. They didn't repent. They didn't go to God's prophet. Samuel was there. They could have gone to him and say, okay, prophet of God, tell us, why do we face defeat? No, instead, with a semblance of being God's people, they turned to making the Ark of the Covenant their idol. They trotted it out. They did not look to Yahweh for their deliverance, but in their sin, particularly of Hophni and Phinehas, they treated God as a slot machine. Oh, I'm just going to put this in and pull it down and we're going to be okay. We're going to win. No, instead, Israel suffers an even greater defeat. 30,000 foot soldiers were killed. They went from losing four, and then they went and trotted out their token, their idol. Even though this was, you know, this is the mercy seat of God, they didn't go to where the word was. They brought out a thing. Hophni and Phinehas are killed. The Ark of the Covenant is lost to the Philistines. And when the runner comes to Eli, we see in, in chapter 4, verse 17, So the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there has been a great slaughter among the people. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the Ark of God has been captured. Then it happened when he made mention of the ark of God, that Eli fell off his seat backward by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died. For the man was old and heavy, and he had judged Israel for forty years. Here we see that the word of the Lord was made true. Eli and his sons died on the same day, and it says this, that every man left fled to his tent. This is utter defeat. They lose all this life. They lose the, the high priest and the chief priests, and they, they uh, lose the ark of God, and they're in such moral defeat. They all go back to their house. They, and what happens? They see now that their ears are rattled in shame, and they were quivering with fear. This defeat is so much more than it looks. This is truly a victory disguised as defeat. We will see that God's promises to withdraw His face and His blessing when Israel breaks their covenant by serving other gods. In Deuteronomy 31, verse 17 says this, Then my anger will be aroused against them in that day, and I will forsake them, and I will hide my face from them, and they shall be devoured, and many evils and troubles shall befall them, so that they will say in that day, have not these evils come upon us, because our God is not among us? And I will surely hide my face in that day, because of all the evil which they have done, in that they have turned to other gods. 
Something else that happens here that's very interesting here, we see that Phineas's wife, she had a son born that very day. Verse 21 says that she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel, because the ark of God had been captured, and because her father-in-law and her husband were lost. And she says, The glory has departed Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. But you know, in the midst of all this judgment, in the midst of hardened hearts, God is stepping in and intervening. Now everyone has has lost all their courage, all their will. They all ran home and are cowering in their tents. And what does God do to deliver them from their enemies? Does he bring a single soldier to the field? No. No. He steps in as an image of Christ and faces the judgment. And he takes the people's punishment. God did not allow for his people to be carried off, but rather stepped between his people and their enemies. God goes into captivity in the place of Israel. He will bring defeat to the Philistines and to their gods. This is a beautiful picture of Christ stepping between us and the serpent and it looks like all is lost but through it he brings deliverance and a great victory when we consider all the turmoil in the world all the escalation worldwide and even in our own country we must turn to God and his word we must be faithful in worship and repentance we must not presume on God in any way for us for our children or for peace in our land. We need the light of the Word of God. Without it, we cannot determine what is good or evil. We must not be like Eli and hear God's Word and say one thing and do another. Or even worse, say one thing and do nothing. Judgment begins with the house of the Lord. We must believe God's Word. And belief is demonstrated by obedience. God sent His Son in our place. Our security doesn't lie with our country's Christian heritage or in our armies, but in the Lord alone. So, people of God, read, hear, and sing God's Word that you may live a life of repentance and gratitude towards God. Do not worship God on your terms. Instead, let the word of God shine into your family, church, and community by your obedient words and actions. Let us pray. Our most gracious Father, we give thanks to you for your holy word that shines a light into our hearts. Please expose our sin to us that we may confess our sins. With your spirit, enable us to live a life of gratitude and repentance each and every day. Strengthen us to live and worship you according to your never-failing word. We ask this for Christ's sake, who reigns with you in the Holy Spirit forever and ever. Amen.